Well, hello and welcome to episode number 391 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's show, British Airways and Virgin Atlantic perform a double takeoff to JFK uh, for the double jabbed. Some new information regarding the missing MH370 aircraft, and an American Airlines has a new regional jet that has rows of seats missing. In the military news this week, the UK's Royal Air Force expands its fleet of T6 Texans, and the King Air Intelligence aircraft gremlins are recovered, and a German Hercules takes its maiden flight. So joining me this week is not in the studio with me this week. He's not here at all because uh, Matt Smith is having uh, some time off. Uh, so he is he's not here uh, this week. So I'm on my own in the studio. What is the worst uh, that could happen? Uh, so giving me tech advice um, through his words of wisdom and the voice in my head that should be there really is, of course, Neville Bounds. We were fully prepared, Carlos. There were no issues whatsoever. No, no, no issues at all whatsoever. <laughs> How are you, Nev? I'm okay, mate. Yes, very nice. Good to be back after a couple of weeks off. Um, first week off, celebrating a large birthday in Foot Aventura with Mrs. Nev, which was very pleasant indeed. Uh, and then um, a lot of we were coming back on last Friday, of course, so um, couldn't get on the show then. And then this week has been absolutely full on with uh, work, as is next week and the week after. So it's just non-stop at the moment. But um, I'll tell you more about my aviation yes. adventures a bit in a, later in a moment. On. Yes. yes. So as I said, Matt's uh, Matt's not with us this week. He's uh, he's in the. Uh, Bermuda somewhere, um, sunning himself in his Bermuda shorts with a tequila in hand. Uh, but we have got the absolute legend that is with us back again this week. Hope oh, I'm so glad he's back as well because we do miss him when he's not here. It is of course the pilot extreme extraordinaire Armando. Hey guys, it's always happy. It's always happy. I'm always happy. <laughs> I, I I think I always mess that up. I'm always happy to be here in person. <laughs> Uh, geez, what is this, a radio show or something? I know. No, that, um, that's tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Anyway, how are things with you, Armando? Shameless plug. I like it. <laughs> uh, pretty good. I've been flying a lot. Like you guys, just working, working, working this whole week. A uh, bunch of cool destinations. Went to Birmingham, Alabama. Spent a day in Atlanta, Jacksonville. Uh, let's see. Looking back, uh, went up to the northeast a little bit. Went out to the outer banks of North Carolina. So our charter business is busy busy which is a great thing for me so that's good that's what i like to hear armando that you're busy yeah. flying racking up the hours in your logbook which i hope you're keeping uh, tabs on all the hours you're doing oh that's funny that you say that carlos because we're gonna have a story on that a little bit later <gasps> do you actually know it's off like, the top of your head how many hours you've got in the book so far armando or is that uh i don't it's funny uh, probably <laughs> four thousand five hundred something like what <laughs> impressive that's what she said Any- <laughs> anyway uh, let's acknowledge everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room uh, this evening all the usual family members in there uh, we've got going to quickly run through uh, Lee Davies uh, we've got Captain Cruz Richard Adams uh, Dirk S hello Dirk we've got Mazus. hello to you Mazus Karim uh, Jan Hubner, hello to you Jan, hope you're well Masha as well, hello to you Masha 
Uh, let me scroll, scroll down, make sure I don't miss anyone. Uh, Neil Lamborn, hello to you, Neil. Uh, nice to see you in there. Our main man, Micah, as well, is in the chat room uh, with his blue spanner of doom, keeping an eye on everyone in there, so make sure you behave yourselves. Alan White, hello to you, Alan, as well. And, uh, yeah, Alan, you're correct there, actually, yes, because uh, there was a certain um, birthday that happened not so long back. Mr. Bounds, wasn't there, Mr. Bounds? Yes, it was the, the 60th birthday. <laughs> the 30th, you said, no. I oh, know. But um, I was looking about looking up all the things that you can get now when you're 60, certainly in England, at least, and things like free prescriptions and all sorts of bus pass business. And um, we've booked um, uh, three or four days in Belfast over Christmas. And of course, I can get the senior citizens rate now for the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for the meal uh, and uh, the hotel rate, so I phoned them up today um, just to pay the last bit of the, the deposit. She said, "Oh, is that for two seniors?" And I said, "I nearly said no." And then I realised, <laughs> actually, no, it, it is, isn't it? Yes. Oh dear. But, oh. Uh, um, as you're uh, near the mixing console, uh, yes, Carl, if you could turn Armando's volume up a little bit. There's a few a few complaints. Armando's in the chat room. Volume. It's a bit quiet, apparently. So uh, well, look, look at speaking of the chat room. Look at that. Look at all these nice compliments. Wow, Nev, you look more like 50. Oh, stop it. Oh, jeez. He's chat room always flattering us. There we go. Mind you, I, I aged a lot last week with some pretty awful aviation activity, I have to say. I flew because British Airways don't fly directly to Fort Aventura at the moment. Hold on, Nev, Nev. What? Is this an MPE? No, no, it's just an observation. <laughs> okay. And, we'll go on. Uh, and, a minor, and a minor rant, probably. Continue. Uh, so, uh, not going directly to Fuerteventura because BA don't fly there directly at the moment. So, we flew to Madrid, had a night in Madrid and half a day there, which was lovely, uh, before flying to Fuerteventura. Now, the first leg was on a 787-9, which was lovely because BA normally run A320s and A321s on those routes. Uh, that's a very nice piece of gear, I must say. Very quiet, nice big windows, you know, the whole business. Um, 40, uh, flight level 430, cruising altitude, you know, beautiful. Lovely PA from the flight deck, as you'd expect. Wonderful. However, Iberia Express, uh, which was the leg from Madrid to Fuerteventura, about two hours, 15 minutes on an A320 and on an A321 coming back. Um, zero PA from the flight deck. Absolutely nothing at all. Actually, I should correct myself. There was a PA uh, from both crews on the way back. Cabin crew, 10 minutes to landing. In Spanish, and that's fair enough because it's a Spanish airline. But that was it. No welcome, nothing. Absolute rubbish. And um, I just think that's a bit poor, really. Um, It's all about communications, isn't it? And I don't know, um, maybe if it was a 45-minute regional turboprop flight, perhaps, I don't know. But, you know, when it's two and a half hours in a a reasonable-sized jet it's reasonable to do a pa isn't it so that was a bit poor i thought um and then of course we've got all the i was doing some flying for work this week so i was I went to brussels and back and of course we've got all the qr codes and all yeah. the faffing about and uh rocked up at uh, brussels airport and um uh the very nice lady behind the counter said you've got the wrong qr code i'm going well that's the one that's come off the belgian government website and we're in belgium so that's that's all you're getting i'm afraid <laughs> 
Um, and then there was an argument about uh, where I, I had been previously. And um, uh, you have to say on your form where you had been in the last seven days. So um, I wrote Spain because Fuerteventura is Spain. Very it's true. not mainland Spain, but it's a bit west, you know. And uh, so she asked me where I'd been. And so I said, oh, I've been to Fuerteventura. Oh, but you put Spain on your thing. I'm going, <sighs> well, it's the same, isn't it, really? It's the difference between, um, you know, the Isle of Wight and uh, Southampton, probably. Um, so, yeah, so a bit of, bit of strop there. And then um, there was an instance. Yes, was I checked in for the BA flight back. Oh, I haven't got this right. And, of course, I'm doing this a lot. So I've got it in triplicate and I've got the paper copy. I've mm. got the electronic copy. I've got the ins and outs of a cat. Anyway, whatever it is. So, um, but, yeah, so that was a little bit difficult. Um, but there's a lot of people showing up for these flights without the correct paperwork. And that's naughty because oh that means people like me get delayed and I get cross about that. So, yes. Um, so that was that. Um, but apart from that, it was a very nice week away in the Canary Islands where it was 25 degrees centigrade. Thank you very much. And uh, sunny for the most part, which was lovely. So, Nev, your thoughts on the uh, Dreamliner? Oh, lovely. Yeah, not the first time I've been on one. Um, I've been on a United one previously to Washington, which was very nice. This was a Dash 8 um, 787 and uh, very nicely equipped in the club world area. And um, Mrs. Never appreciated that very much. I don't think I've told her how much it cost, but um, she, she wasn't too concerned about that as she uh, lapped up the food and drink and the service as well. So. Actually, Richard Adams says in the chat room, Nev, they obviously didn't know uh, that you are Nev, as in, you know, Nev from PTUK. Well, you know, I, I kind of just expect that now. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but no, it was, it's a great aircraft, actually. If you've not been on the Dreamliner, um, it is incredibly quiet, um, especially at takeoff and um, certainly at cruise altitude. Uh, unbelievably quiet aircraft, very nice. And, of course, a bit of the reduced um, cabin altitude as well. Which yeah. 6,000 feet, I think. Yeah, so that yeah. makes it a ni nicer, so you feel a bit fresher at the other end, a bit more humidity in the in the cabin. Um, but, uh, no, very very nice piece of gear, I must say. Um, actually, to be honest with you, nothing to choose between that and the A350, I don't think. Um, very similar um, in terms of um, cabin atmosphere and also um, how relaxed one is. And if it was, it was, I would say it's comparable to the 350-1000 that we went on, Carlos, to hmm. Dubai that time. So, yeah, lovely. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed your trip, Nevis. Uh, obviously, good yeah. to have you back. And it was, I think it was a nice break for you, Miss uh, Mrs. B, wasn't it? Certainly was, yeah. Yeah. But glad to be back as well. Excellent. So we've got loads of news to get through uh, on the show this week. And uh, if everyone's ready, um, shall we do some uh, commercial let's, news? Let's do that. Let's yes. go. Ready to go.
Soaking off this week's first news story comes to us from skynews.com. And those of you who follow the news reels will probably have seen this week uh, that rival airlines, uh, BA and Virgin, had uh, quite uh, quite the event this week uh, in he- at Heathrow Airport. So it says here that uh, the rival airlines, BA and Virgin Atlantic, have operated synchronised departures uh, from Heathrow to celebrate the end of the US travel ban for fully vaccinated passengers from the UK. Uh, excited travellers queued to check in at the airport after the, the lifting of the ban, uh, which brought an end to almost two years of coronavirus restrictions on incoming travellers to the US. Uh, the two flights took off from parallel runways at the airport in West London on Monday morning before heading to JFK in New York. Uh, the airlines have ramped up flights to meet demand with 2,688 scheduled to operate between the UK and the US this month. Uh, this is up to 21% compared to October, but down 49% on pre-pandemic levels uh, of November 2019. Uh, Transport Secretary Grant Snaps, always reminds me of some drink when I say that, uh, said... It was a significant moment uh, as transatlantic travel has long been at the heart of UK aviation. Uh, It's the end of restrictions first imposed by former president uh, at the start of the pandemic, which saw visitors banned from dozens of countries. Travellers must be fully jabbed uh, and provide proof of negative COVID-19 tests taken within three days of entering the country. Uh, Virgin Atlantic CEO Shay Wise said uh, this is the tipping point for Virgin Atlantic and aviation in the UK at large. Uh, BA Chief Executive Sean Doyle said the reopening of the US borders was a moment to celebrate after more than 600 days of separation. And, um, yeah, it's safe to say, I think it's uh, it's good news that this has finally happened. I have, I can confirm that I have, um, I've booked my uh, pre-coronavirus uh, tests for before I fly it to the US um, which uh, hopefully will be in December. But uh, what do you think, Nev? Oh, it's great, great stuff. Long overdue as well. And finally, the two governments have got their act together and um, we can go there again, which I'm delighted about. Um, and um, I, I just hope that, and I'm trying to be positive here, obviously, but some US immigration channels... Uh, have been known to be a bit slow sometimes. Um, So I do hope that they've got measures in place to deal with some of that in case people may not have their paperwork quite in order um, because we've all seen those horrendous queues sometimes. Having said that, um, I think everybody's glad to be back in the USA. Uh, and uh, I'm being, I shall be going there myself in January of next year uh, of a, a week's trip to Dallas-Fort Worth uh, with work. So, yeah, great news. Really good stuff. So we've got the video playing here, Nev. Um, mm. For those of you watching YouTube stream, you'll see the video here, courtesy of Sky News, uh, of the two aircraft taking off. Nev, can you honestly remember the last time that you saw parallel takeoffs? Uh, he, I, I can't myself remember the last time I saw um, No, I don't, I've never seen it myself uh, before. Um, I think I have seen... I think the closest I've got to it is where a... What was it? It was probably a um, United 747 was on approach to land on 27 
left, I think it was, and then had to go around at a late stage when there was already an aircraft departing on 27 right. Um, so I suppose that's the same sort of thing, isn't it, really? Uh, but uh, no, I've never seen it uh, before. Um, but uh, no, good job by the... Um, uh, by the helicopter crew and all the rest of it so it was uh, brilliant yeah i I suppose it it begs the question who got there first um now i think (laughs) i'm right in saying didn't the virgin aircraft get there first i think i don't know perhaps uh, perhaps our our glorious chat room will uh, will know the answer but i I don't know who got there first because they they both i mean they both literally took off exactly the same time didn't they yeah yeah and obviously it all depends on the exact routing across the Atlantic because they need spacing mm. and all the rest of it. I think they had, uh, when I first found out about this actually was from Adam and then he had made a post um, with the aircraft tracks going across the Atlantic and they were parallel there also and pretty much flying uh, together. Uh, this is as close to formation flying as airline pilots get. So um, it's pretty cool. I, You know, uh, John and I were talking about the logistics behind this last night when we were doing show notes. We were thinking, man, you know, uh, for this to happen and for them to take off at the same time and all the people and all the ground crews and everybody involved. But in addition to that, uh, to get slightly philosophical here in the United States, you know, we had uh, the Civil War in the 1800s, 1860, and there are many stories of uh, confederate and union generals that would meet the night before a battle uh, because they were either classmates from west point or they had known each other before the the separation and uh, i had this this romantic vision of these two aircraft captains meeting somewhere in the terminal saying you know shaking hands and and saying okay how are we going to do this how are we going to do the throttle up what are we going to do for timing and and in order to put on a good show for this uh, international uh achievement you know i I just kind of pictured both of these captains i hope that it happened i'm not sure that it did but (laughs) at least that's how i'm going to romanticize it yeah actually i wonder what the uh, pilots were thinking when they sat on the flight deck and you know you you push your throttles all the way up take off power and you look at look to your right or look to your left or look to your right and you've got the other because i don't know if you can you can see the actual you, I don't think you can. Can you never see not across? on the not for the entire length of the runway because um, mm-hmm. there's lots of terminal in between. But for certain parts of the runway, you you can see what's going on on the other side. But you should be looking in front, shouldn't you? Really, <laughs> probably. So let's yeah. move on to mm. uh, the next story. And Nev, you've got uh, you're actually staying on the uh, uh, the A350 sort of scheme with this one. Yeah, this is interesting, isn't it? Um, Airbus has demonstrated how formation flying can aid sustainability with two test Airbus A350s flying across the Atlantic in what has been dubbed the final demonstration, taking inspiration from the formation flying employed by geese. Airbus has been working hard on the idea since 2019. Across the world, uh, the airline industry is looking to cut CO2 emissions. Uh, At the moment, no idea is off the table with some such uh, airlines such as Etihad going as far as to calculate optimal routes that avoid generating contrails or chemtrails, as we sometimes call them. Uh, Whilst Airbus is pursuing hydrogen flight, a solution that may be easier to implement is formation flying, especially on high-density routes such such as the North Atlantic tracks. 
Uh, in the morning, two Airbus A350s departed Toulouse in close succession. Taking off first was the A350-900 uh, with manufacturer's serial number one, registered as Foxtrot Whiskey uh, X-Ray Whiskey Bravo. This departed from Toulouse as AIB-1 at uh, 08.57. Moments later, the Airbus A350-1000 with MSN-59 registered as Foxtrot Whiskey Mike India Lima took to the skies above Toulouse at 8.59. It's AIB-2. Following a slight deviation in their flight path over France to line up, the two jets flew in formation from the west of France until they were well over Canada. They then flew to Montreal in formation over the Atlantic Ocean and landed just a minute apart uh, between 10.40 and 10.41 respectively. The aircraft used the general air traffic airspace over the Atlantic to avoid clogging the North Atlantic tracks. It seems as though the mission was a success and Airbus commented that during the flight the second aircraft saved more than six tonnes of CO2. According to the manufacturer this equates to around 5% on long-haul flights. Uh, Commenting on the successful mission, the Airbus Chief Technical Officer, Sabine Klauker, said that uh, this demonstration flight is a concrete example of our commitment to making our decarbonation decarbonisation roadmap a reality. The opportunity to get this deployed for passenger aircraft around the middle of the decade is very promising. Well, how does it work? So let's have a think about how formation flying works. It's an interesting question that planes don't fly one behind the other, but instead in a diagonal pattern, as seen when birds such as ducks and and geese fly over. The two aircraft have a connected flight control system that talks to each other. Uh, The aircraft following sits in the leader's wake updraft, which slightly reduces the work that it needs to do. Whilst the technology is undoubtedly exciting, it seems as though it would be a headache to implement. It would require aircraft departures to be coordinated to ensure that one aircraft isn't hanging around for another, which could prove challenging on a commercial basis. Instead, it seems more like a technology that could be employed when aircraft are entering major airways, such as the North Atlantic track system, at the same time. It would have been perfect for British Airways and Virgin Atlantic, who operated simultaneous flights from London Heathrow to New York yesterday as we just reported of course in this situation you also need to decide which aircraft gets to follow and thus uses slightly less fuel so it could cost a little less to operate i'm just wondering i mean i think the idea is extremely interesting but what about the the prevailing winds because on the north atlantic i mean there's some really strong winds blowing in either direction and obviously ATC set up those tracks to optimise, you know, um, in both directions. But um, I just wonder how that's how that would work in in real, you know, real world stuff. I really can't think how it would. But um, we need to ask our resident pilot, Nev, I think. Yeah, I think we probably should. (laughs) Well, the flights would happen either way. So whether or not the prevailing winds are are there or stronger or weaker, uh, that flight's still going to happen. So I, I guess anything to say 5%, 5% of, of six tons and 5% of 20 tons, you know, it's still 5%. So I don't, I, I was pretty interested in how these two aircraft are talking to each other, controlling each other's flight control system. That's interesting because in, in this show, we've talked a little bit about how the systems are almost immune to hacking, but, uh, but this is a, an actual, you know, 
communication system between two aircraft. Um, not that this is a hacking story. I'm not trying to turn it into a hacking story, but I just thought that that's pretty unique. I, I don't think I've ever heard that other than uh, the military trying to develop its its uh, wingman, you know, unmanned wingman concept. Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to to hmm. just relinquish control of your aircraft to to the system being controlled by another aircraft. You know, I don't know. But you know, this is this is in the nascent stage, so I'm sure it will continue to evolve, and maybe it'll take off. Pun intended. Maybe it won't. Maybe it's uh, just a demonstration of of uh, t- potential technology, like we do many times, but it doesn't actually take off. Hmm. Yes, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, again, because everyone is just doing everything they can to save fuel and co2 emissions uh, almost anything seems to be on the table at the moment doesn't it so uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting concept i would say certainly so armando you have got the next story f- and this is looking back at an event that happened in 2018 yeah and i think we did a story on this the uh, ntsb national transportation safety board says that a 2018 accident that killed three individuals was actually caused by this company Tam- uh, tamarack aerospace their active winglet system. So this final report was actually released on 1 November, and it says, uh, the safety regulator says that the Tamarack active camber surface, or, or tax in short, on the left wing was deployed asymmetrically and led to the Cessna Citations crash. So tax is an uh, active aerodynamic control surface on uh, that's mounted on the wingtip extensions that either hold their position and trail with the wing or deploy symmetrically to alleviate structural load. So um, there is a good YouTube video kind of actually from Tamarack Aerospace explaining why this system was developed, but there's, there's a, a, a change in the load factor of the wing when you, when you add winglets to it. And some of those uh, changes at high G's or high angles of attack are, not necessarily manufactured or uh, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for accounted for by the manufacturer. Um, so this active winglet system is actually like a mini little spoiler, a little mini aileron. And um, so apparently at, at some point the uh, tax, this little winglet aileron thing deployed and then the NTSB couldn't determine why it deployed and the resulting roll rate, uh, although it was above the, the nominal threshold for detection by humans, so they didn't know that it was that the aircraft was was turning, you know, the, the inner ear fluid. Um, so it likely went unrecognized by the pilot uh, due to the uh, pilot's attention being directed towards the checklist and communications and a lack of a visible horizon because the aircraft was in the clouds, so they didn't have that visual reference of the horizon. So after the autopilot disconnected, the, auto, the pilot uh, in the cockpit voice recorder was actually uh, audibly surprised, and he didn't reduce the engine power or deploy the speed, the speed brakes, and, and the pilot was actually not able to regain control um, before the aircraft you know, crashed in, into the terrain. So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting thing, and, and Tamarack Aerospace is... Uh, disputing this, they're disputing that their system was the the causal factor in this crash. But uh, the NTSB is kind of uh, is uh, sticking to its guns and, and and saying that yeah, the, these active winglets were 
the probable cause of the accident. So in, uh, as a result of all of this, regulators in Europe and the U.S. have pretty much grounded the, the 91 Cessna Citation jets that have the uh, Atlas uh, active winglet sy- uh, system. So, so yeah, interesting. I'll take it. That's uh, the one on the screen now, Armando, which is the aircraft in question. Yeah, that's it. That's a Cessna Citation, and Tamarack produces these active winglets for a number of different aircraft. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in, in this case, it was a, a citation and, and you know, what probably happened too is the auto flight system was, was probably fighting it to the point where, you know, you have almost a split control surface and split aerodynamic forces and the system probably tried to fought it to fight it until it can't anymore. And then the autopilot disconnects and then the pilot grabs mm-hmm. controls and it's like, what is going on right now? You know, and, and. Uh, it's it can be really really surprising when when the autopilot kicks off and the aircraft is trimmed in a direction that you're absolutely not expecting it. Um, you know, and in this case, it rolled to the left and, and into the ground from ten thousand feet. Wow. So. so moving on to story number four, and um, uh, who done the planning last night? Was it you and uh, John? This may be on purpose. Yeah, Carlos, so tell us about this. <laughs> we're just gonna uh, we're just gonna have to wait a few minutes uh, while this next story syncs, uh, and then we have to download and the program and install it, and you know add music and uh, anyway. Um, so this story comes from ainonline.com, uh, specially chosen for me by uh, probably by Mr. Bones actually. He probably put this one in there, and uh, this is uh, Corridine. Rolls out log 10 for the Apple Watch. Other watches are available, like the Honor Band 6. Anyway, professional pilot logbook software provider Corridine has launched a log 10 uh, on the Apple Watch, already available for the iPhone, iMac, and Mac. When they're synced, uh, the new Log 10 logbook application allows pilots in the flight deck to file and access essential flight information through their watch. Corridine is committed to creating technology to accelerate the future of aviation, said CEO Noah Lieberman. Uh, Log 10 for Apple Watch is a natural step on that journey, with just a tap on the wrist when the pilot leaves the gate to JFK and another one when they arrive at SFO, they can make sure they're logging flights and staying safely within regulated limits. So Log 10 for Apple Watch captures details and then automatically updates on all of the pilot's devices. Pilots can tap Fly Now uh, to start a flight entry in the logbooks and out when they uh, leave their parking spot. Uh, with an option to change the time if necessary as well. Uh, once the time out is logged, uh, the takeoff airport is logged automatically using GPS coordinates. Upon arrival, the pilot taps in to finish logging the flight, and Log 10 will provide a summary with the departure and arrival airports for block time, air time, and night time, all of which are automatically registered. Uh, the flight is then logged. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, we'll hand things over to our two resident Apple people to discuss this amazing thing. There's it's nothing to be. discuss. It's just standard stuff. It's what you'd expect <laughs> from a fabulous operating system, certainly. <laughs> Thank you for plugging Apple, Carlos. That's awesome. 
I yeah. think that's where we leave the story. I was I was nipping and poking and uh, prodding myself whilst I was reading that story and um, <coughs> coughing, which I turned the microphone down <laughs> and stuff. So yeah, that's uh, amazing. Anyway, moving on yep. to the next story, Nev. And, hold uh, on, hold uh, on. Uh, uh, now, I do want to talk about this, uh, right? Because you probably still have a paper logbook. I I have got paper one, yeah. Yeah, paper logbooks. So yeah. those are going away, Carlos. Uh, these uh, new apps, so ForeFlight, Log10, um, they are linked to the flight plans. They're linked to your electronic flight bag or your iPad, whatever your operator uh, issues you. But they essentially, I, I spent like three weeks a couple years ago digitizing my entire logbook. Um, at first, I was of the school of thought, uh, keep a paper copy. But um, I kind of gave up on that because it's a lot of work and it's so much easier now to just take off and I don't have an Apple watch, so I don't, I don't have it synced or anything like that, but I do um, hit, you know, send to logbook at the end of the flight and it's recorded my whole track. It's, it's recorded uh, what approach I did, what, uh, what the flight route was, any changes and, uh, and the times. So now that all being said, I am uh, an analog being still in a in a digital aircraft so i prefer to have a paper release and i still keep track of everything on paper with a pen and paper on the flight deck just in case uh something does happen i it is it would be incredibly rare to lose like we i think we have three ipads on the aircraft and uh, the guy i was flying with my co-pilot actually has this app uh, this log 10 and he does have the uh, little thing on his Apple watch that he can literally just do the time. So for me, it's great backup. I like to uh, write it with a pen and paper on my release, <laughs> including my clearance and everything, any other pertinent information for the flight. Um, but that is kind of the old school way of doing it. I think a lot of people are, are uh, starting out with digital log books and, and this <laughs> just makes it that much easier. <laughs> Sorry, I was just re- reading the comments in the chat room. Oh, Dave Abbey's uh, watching the video on his on his the crisp video on his iPad, um, and uh, someone M- Megan Carrion says uh, listening to uh, to us through her Apple AirPods. Um. <laughs> we should do a poll, or no, maybe not, because I think we I think we know where where the uh, poll results would be. Yeah, my my. Unfortunately, if we'd done a poll, my finger would probably accidentally hit the um, stream button. <laughs> it's uh, it's VHS versus Betamax all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we could talk about this all night, Med. We all know, we all know. Um, Android is better; it's far superior. Anyway, Nev, moving on to the next story, and uh, it's a st- it's something we haven't talked about for quite some time. No, do you know? Funny enough, I was just thinking about mh370 the other day in the sense that we hadn't heard anything about it but this is quite interesting i think um in a new development in the search for mh370 aerospace engineer richard godfrey has discovered that after following the coastline of sumatra the boeing 777 was put into a holding pattern for 22 minutes before proceeding south Mr. Godfrey is using a revolutionary new tracking technology called WSPRNet to track MH370, which is hoped will lead to a new search. Uh, Using a set of tools, Mr. Godfrey said he's able to detect and track aircraft anywhere in the globe and at any time currently or historically 
going back as far as 2009. The system has been undergoing a number of tests that have been set up by an ex-Qantas captain, Mike Glynn, and adjudicated by AirlineRatings.com, which have been very successful. Uh, having verified the technology, Mr. Godfrey is currently tracking MH370 and reports as follows uh, with the map. And I think Carlos has got a, a picture of that. Yes, um, that's on the screen. Uh, what I found out without looking for it, he said, was that MH370 entered a racetrack holding pattern at around uh, 12 minutes past 7 UTC uh, PM for around 22 minutes until 7.34. The flight path is at a constant ground speed of 497 knots and a constant altitude of 36,000 feet. Uh, There is no contrived descent or ascent to match the Inmarsat satellite data. There are no contrived turns to match the Inmarsat satellite data either. Um, now, you might have to help me here, uh, Armando. There's, there's some uh, abbreviations that I don't quite understand, but it says uh, the Inmarsat satellite BTO and BFO data matches perfectly the timing, position and track at the first arc uh, during the SATCOM call and the second arc, um, which was at 1941 UTC. Uh, on entering the holding pattern, uh, MH370 was 150 nautical miles from the coast of Sumatra and 40 nautical miles from the second arc. A total of 33 pieces have been found by 16 unrelated people in six countries, with most being identified as being from MH370 or a Boeing 777. However, extensive underwater searches in the Indian Ocean have so far not located the wreckage of the aircraft. Uh, The uh, WSPRnet propagation technical uh, analysis is based on the 2007 International Reference Ionosphere. The the IRI is a permanent joint scientific project of the Committee on Space. He uses software to trace radio waves around the globe. Uh, PropLab Pro was probably one of the first ionospheric physics-based HF radio signal ray tracing engines in the world for the PC and has been maintained and developed for over 30 years. It uses both three-dimensional models of the ionosphere as well as uh, three-dimensional topographical data of the Earth to provide unprecedented detail in modelling HF radio signal propagation worldwide. Uh, together with uh, navigation engines, Mr. Godfrey is able to determine uh, both uh, aircraft, sorry, aircraft locations, both in the present and through the use of historical data, which includes past flights. That, okay. is, <laughs> that is fascinating, isn't it? To be able to go back in time um, with, with that sort of technology. That's, you know... Wow. Um, you can actually do a similar thing. So the BTO is the burst timing offset and the BFO is a burst frequency offset. So you can do the same thing with cell phones. And I'm going to piggyback on my, on Matt's uh, 5G uh, educational session from the other day. But in order for these, uh, these algorithms to communicate um, and to send the data, there has to be an, a, a very tight uh, timing, right, to the, to the millisecond. And based on the aircraft's position from the... Uh, satellites, so for the Inmarsat data to happen, it's essentially uh, sending these uh, these data messages just like your phone is on a control channel. So 
cell phones have uh, rake receivers, which is like it's an like actual receiver with like four receivers. And one of them is always talking to the cell phone tower, its nearest tower, and then uh, trying to figure out all the surrounding towers and which one has the best uh, service. This is, is kind of similar to that. So it's kind of telling the um, through this data control channel between the aircraft and the satellite, it's uh, establishing how um, how much anticipation the 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 air the the message needs to send off in order to hit the satellite at the right timing so the trons don't get uh you know collided so and and all these are, are background messages that are happening in, happening in an in marsat and specifically within marsat there it's also sending lat longs so in addition to lat longs and these data uh burst control uh things uh control messages that you can you can sort of put together this three-dimensional model of where where was this aircraft in relation to the satellites and then from there kind of work backwards to uh, to figure it out which is what this gentleman did so i'm not trying to be clever here because i'm not um but why wasn't this thought about earlier on that's a great question (laughs) or uh, that's a great question i you would have thought that this would have been in cell phone forensics, when when law enforcement or anybody's trying to uh, pinpoint a location, this is one of the first things that they look at is your uh, your 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 ratches and your satches and <laughs> all these other uh, digital messages that are happening in the background to your phone. So why in Marshat wouldn't have provided this data, or maybe they did, and we just never found out about it, or maybe this gentleman just. I, I'm, I'm sure there's a whole load of stuff that's not been reported and that isn't yeah. in the public domain, I would imagine. Yeah, you're right. I, I think I'm with you. Can you imagine if they actually do, you know, find a position of this aircraft and actually... But I, I just have the feeling that if they, even if they did find this aircraft, that it's going to be so deep, it's going to be impossible to recover. But I don't know. What do you think? Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean... We put a man in space, so yeah, true. <laughs> I guess never say never. <laughs> so, what um, was that? What was that movie, The Abyss? Like, we can do it. The, <laughs> but anyway, going on. So, uh, yeah, Carlos, uh, this one is uh, from the website viewfromthewing.com, and this has to do with American Airlines <laughs> flying regional jets that have uh, missing rows of seats. So these customers may find themselves on regional jets uh, that have, uh, I think there's a picture in there that, that you can play out, but uh, essentially it's just a big, a big gap between seats there. And this particular picture that, that Carlos is going to put up there is from an American Eagle ERJ-175, um, which is operated by SkyWest. So this is a new aircraft, which was just delivered in 2021 or August of 2021. And it's one of uh, 10 uh, E-175s that they're currently flying for American. Um, the <laughs> So the airline apparently modified the small number of, uh, of aircraft uh, SkyWest did in order to maintain their flying st- schedule and to ensure that they're complying with the terms of their pilot contract. So those modifications included temporarily removing some of these seats in both the first class and the main cabins. And these will remain in effect until 2022. So this all has to do with the scope clause. This uh, We've talked about the scope clause a little bit on the show, but uh, American Airlines' uh, pilot scope clause limits SkyWest to flying regional jets uh, that have between 66 and 76 66 and 76 seats to no more than 40% of their mainline narrow body fleet. So 
the retirement of the 757 and the E-190 fleets reduced the number of these uh, mainline narrow bodies. And now uh, this is this is limiting the number of regional jets that, that can have this many seats. Um, that is all... Uh, when I was talking with John about this uh, last night, he was like, "What? what is this again? Yeah, it's it, this is basically a scope clause is a, is part of a contract between a major airline and its union and the and a, its pilots union to limit the number and the size of the aircraft that can be flown by the airline's regional partners. Um, and of course, this the whole goal of this is to protect the uh, union pilots' jobs from a major airline from being outsourced uh, by to a regional a regional airline. So I think this this all came about in the '90s and and. Uh, Generally only found in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. But there you go. American's not the only one that does this. Uh, United, I think uh, Delta does this. So, um, yeah, there you go. So if you're, if you're boarding an airplane and it's missing two rows of seats, that's why. It's because <laughs> the union has limited the number of seats that can be in that airplane. Good Lord. That's amazing, isn't that? <laughs> do, you, do you think that the... Um There'd have to be much in the way of, you know, CG adjustment and, you know, weight and balance adjustment and that, and that kind of thing. Yeah, they, they probably did strategically remove uh, rows in, in, in certain spots. So, hmm. yeah, but you know what? Hey, as Alan says in the chat room, at least now you have more legroom than sitting in 1A. Yes, all right. What a nice, what a nice treat it would be if you book an, an economy ticket and you have, like, you know, that much leg room. Yeah, <laughs> Except you can't reach your bag. You've got to get up and like. <laughs> yeah, Mazuz Kareem uh, in the chat room says he can't see Ryanair doing that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they would, Nev, but they'd charge you about £600 for the well, privilege. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure, but I, I somehow I, I think that the word union and Ryanair, they don't go together. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, next story. This one is. Uh, all about the Air Race Classic to return in June. So after two years of cancellations, can't think why, the 2022 Air Race Classic is slated for June the 21st through to the 24th, uh, with the race ending at Tierhuite Regional Airport. I'll probably absolutely <laughs> butcher that. Terre Haute. Thank you. Thanks for that, Armando. It attracts several hundred people and they are here for a few days. Airport Executive Director Jeff Hoiser said the airport's board of directors on Wednesday. It'll mark the 45th annual race for women pilots and teams. Uh, while the race routes change annually, it covers around two and a, well, 2,400 statute miles, typically with eight or nine timing points. Uh, the 2022 competition is slated uh, to start at Lakeland. Uh, is that, is that Lakeland, Florida, is that? Yep, that's yep. correct. Uh, with route stops in, oh, blimey, you've picked this especially for me, haven't you? Mil, <laughs> mil, mil, mul, Moultrie? Moultrie? GA? Yeah, Moultrie, Georgia, the, the home of Mall Aircraft. Okay. Uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That's and right, the home of uh, uh, Southern, uh, what was it? Swamp Music. That's it. Uh, is it Hattiesburg, Mississippi? You, you got it. Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, Ada in Oklahoma. Well done. Yeah. Lawrence in Kansas. Kansas, yeah. Mount Vernon. 
Illinois. Illinois, okay. And Which is a, has a great, Mount Vernon, Illinois, has a great cafe on the airfield and a nice little uh, Hall of Fame museum. Uh, Tullahoma in Tennessee. I know that one because uh, yeah. I, I like a certain drink that comes from there. And the race ends in Terre Terre. Terre Haute. Terre Haute. Terre Haute. Should have given this one a nev. Anyway, the race had been slated to come to Terre Haute in 2020 and 2021, but was cancelled each year amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, The Air Race Classics Incorporated is an all-volunteer, non-for-profit 501 um, organisation with a mission of encouraging and educating current and future female pilots, increasing public awareness of general aviation, demonstrating women's roles in aviation and preserving and promoting the tradition of pioneering women in aviation. So I'm guessing this is one you'll be heading to next year, Armando. Yeah, this is pretty cool. You know, when I was at Oshkosh a couple of years ago and you walk into the EAA museum, they have this whole display about air races and all different kinds of air races. And, um, you know, I was there with Megan and we saw, wow, the Cleveland Lakefront Air Race. Um, the Air Race Classic, I think, goes back many, 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 many years. Um, but it's essentially general aviation aircraft. So it's Cessnas, it's, uh, you know, Pipers and, and Comanches and all these airplanes and and Moonies with just a big old race number put on the side. And the, the pilots, uh, they, they have to fly VFR daytime only. And they're, and they're uh, given these sort of uh, challenges where they have to make these flybys at, at each timing point and then land at each of these airports. Um, pretty, pretty cool. I just love that these things are, are happening again. And one of the interviews that I'm actually working on is with one of the race directors for the uh, Venture Cup, the EAA Venture Cup, um, which is a similar air race. So, except with experimental aircraft. Wow. That sounds good. At least these things are starting to get back um, get back to happening again. It's nice to see the air shows um, starting to, uh, to start off again. Hopefully next year will be a, a nice clear year of air shows happening across the globe. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Everybody is uh, just egging to get out. We had an air show just in our uh, one of the satellite Charlotte airports this last weekend. Uh, we the whole family went down there. We saw some cool airplanes. I saw I uh, sent you guys some pictures of a, a flock of Mustangs uh, C one twenty three. I think there was an F four. There was a, a C forty six, um, and it was packed. I mean, there was a bunch of people out. So and that's a, a tiny little airport in in Charlotte. So everybody's getting out. So, Nev, um, obviously you've, you've got a little something to uh, to mention after you read this story <laughs> about a certain BA um, oh, email. Well, yeah. um, but anyway, Nev, um, this, this reminds me of a few years ago when me and you uh, were at a certain air show uh, many miles away. But um, we're not heading back there this year, unfortunately. But uh, there is something good happening this year at this air show. <clears throat> yes, it's a pity that we're not at uh, Dubai Air Show this year, isn't it? Um, but we shall be back. I'm sure of that. Um, no, no question about that. So it was a it was a great, uh, great event, wasn't it? It we was, there? yeah. Um, well, this is on the nationalnews.com, um, and it says that Boeing's triple seven X wide body aircraft landed in Dubai World Central at fourteen zero two p.m. on Tuesday. 
before its international debut next week at the Dubai Air Show, the first major aerospace exhibition in about two years. The 777-9 flight test aircraft made a nearly 15-hour non-stop flight from Seattle's Boeing Field to Dubai's Al Maktoum International Airport, marking the first international journey and the longest flight to date for the 777X as the aircraft continues to undergo a rigorous test program, Boeing said in a statement. Boeing's move to display the 777X in Emirates backyard in Dubai comes amid the airline's growing impatience over the aircraft's delay. Emirates, who's the launch customer for the 777X, has repeatedly lambasted Boeing for continued delays and lack of clarity on the jet programme. Emirates will hold discussions with the Chicago-based plane maker before and during the Dubai air show about the aircraft and uh, Sheikh Ahmed bin Said Al Maktoum who's the chairman and chief executive of Emirates uh, airline and group said last week uh, the airline has ordered 126 of the 777 jets and 30 of the smaller 787 Dreamliner wide-body jets uh, the 777 family has a total of 330 sorry 351 orders and commitments from eight customers around the world first delivery of the, of the plane is expected in late 2023 Boeing reported uh, the biannual Dubai air show will be held from November the 14th to the 18th as dedicated site at Dubai World Central, which is where Carlos and I were. Uh, this year's event will feature 1,200 exhibitors, of which 371 are new and 80 are startups, event organiser Tarsus said. Uh, the new exhibitors come from countries including Belgium, Ukraine, the UK, the US, Greece, Israel, Switzerland, Brazil, the Czech Republic, Canada and Russia. So that's where business is done, isn't it? That's where orders are taken at uh, uh, air shows like that. But um, yeah, the, this triple seven X delay just goes on and on, doesn't it? Yeah, it's good to see. I'll just run that video again, just in case you missed that. There we go, the video of the triple seven X arriving. Uh, very dusty, actually. Uh, Dubai World Center there, but uh, with those winglets, Nev. That's one of the things I think I would have definitely have headed to um, had we have been going this year uh, to the air show to have a good old look around there. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, uh, a very observant Richard Adams asks if our uh, field correspondent uh, is going to get access to the show. And the answer is yes, potentially, Richard. Yes. So, so watch this space, I think, is uh, what we say to that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those air shows, Nev, I think, where where every year i think it is different and uh, there is a lot to see and a lot to to pack in in yes. uh in I mean, even though we were there for two days but um you know we we had a fairly good um fairly good access to various bits and pieces mm. of the show but uh yeah i look forward to hopefully going back out there hopefully soon again uh you know maybe not to well, we've got some ba vouchers to use from flights that we paid for but didn't take so we've got a couple of years to use them so i'm i'm yes. sure you'll find <laughs> either malta or uh dubai uh will well take our fancy malta if they change their um routine i think Nef. well yes quite <clears throat> anyway Armando, you've got uh the next story and uh, all about avionics uh, sales yeah, and I must say that chat room is filling up nicely halfway through the show. Um, yeah, this is a short story from AIN Online. The general aviation avionics industry has seen more than $1.7 billion in sales through the first uh, nine months, representing uh, uh, of 2021, uh, 2021, 
I forgot what year we were in, um, representing a growth of 5.4% year over year. That's according to statistics released yesterday by the Aircraft Electronics Association. Now, that total takes into account all business and general aviation aircraft electronics, but does not include uh, repairs, overhauls, extended warranties, or subscription services. Uh, Apparently, 53% of the sales came from the retrofit market, while equipment included on delivery by airframers made up the balance. And the reason we put this story in there is this is huge. With the advancements that have happened in in general aviation avionics in the past 10 years, uh, it is amazing to me that I can fly a Cessna 182 uh, Nav 3 uh, with a G1000 and hop into a Citation Mustang, which is a very fast jet going 41,000 feet and you know 400 miles per hour with the exact same avionics system, a G1000. And I can hop over to a caravan and drop skydivers at 14,000 feet at 90 knots and have a G1000 system. Uh, additionally, the experimental market is is just booming right now and and the amount of information and automation that you can put in a general aviation aircraft nowadays rivals even some of the aircraft that we had in the u.s air force and i'm sure even some of the uh we're going to call them legacy pilots like captain jeff is in the chat room there um so some of these more experienced legacy pilots would uh, <laughs> would be very, very impressed with the types of avionics that are in here. Now, when I owned my little Lancer, uh, it had all steam gauges, all round dials. And the I wanted to put a dual Garmin G3X system with a Garmin GTN 750 touchscreen uh, GPS, WAS enabled. And just to do that for that little aircraft, I got quoted $70,000. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now what's the price that, you know, that you put on, on having that kind of situational awareness and external resources available to you, such as, you know, real time weather and real time, uh, traffic and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, even, even in the, the Pilatus fleet that, that we have, some of them are getting retrofitted with Garmin G600, um, systems and, and Garmin's not the only one, you know, you have Honeywell systems, you have uh, Aeroview systems, you've got uh, uh, Proline systems that you can retrofit airplanes with. And uh, Genesis, we like on our DC three, we, we were putting a Genesis system in there and removing all the steam gauges. Uh, I mean, those things are hundred, 150,000, not counting the engineering that goes behind it and the, and the supplemental type certificates. So um, very, very cool. And I think, Anybody that's shopping around for an airplane nowadays, if you're looking for a you know eighty thousand uh, dollar Mooney uh, M21, one of the first things that you're already thinking is how what's my budget to um, you know to retrofit some some modern avionics in there. So very cool story. Okay. Imagine my 1967 Cessna 150 that I learned that I started my training. Just imagine that with all glass. Uh, well, if you, if you put it on an experimental <laughs> certificate, you could put an iPad, an iPad and a Stratus. And, then uh, then it becomes a-, a technologically advanced aircraft then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty cool what they're doing. So, Nev, uh, do you want to take, uh, take the last one here about the, uh, the Dash 8s? Yeah, this is quite interesting. It's on the aeronews.net, uh, and it says that uh, de Havilland Canada 
has resumed production of their outstanding aircraft following the ratification of collective agreement extensions by members of Unifor Locals 673 and 112 who work at their Downsview site in Toronto. Uh, the decommissioning of the recently sold location will continue with equipment decommissioned and stored whilst Havland reviews future production opportunities. Aside from remaining aircraft already partially completed, De Havilland appears to plan on keeping their manufacturing hiatus until sufficient demand arises. Uh, they st- stress their optimism for the future of their Dash 8 aircraft, saying that it wants to meet aircraft demand when the industry recovers from its post-2020 economic zeitgeist. Uh, in the statement, they couch the, det- the termination of the Dash 8 production in much softer sounding language, saying we believe that our upcoming pause in production is a responsible and prudent measure that reflects current industry conditions and will limit strain on the market and de Havilland Canada's supply base as the pandemic recovery occurs. In a cutthroat market, it's understandable for the cynical and paranoid to assume such remarks could be an optimistic softening of the blow, like quarrelling parents, assuring the children that all is well, only hash out terms for the divorce after bedtime. Well, the Dash 8 has been seeing increasing competition from light jets, constantly boosting their efficiency, with a number of sustainable projects on the horizon for even more competition. So a soft shoe secret cancellation isn't highly likely with the Dash 8 space, but the right configuration could prove successful if offered in time. With assurances that the Dash 8 will return to normal, de Havilland seems invested in future sales of improved, more sustainable versions of the model. In July, the company announced projects with Pratt & Whitney Canada to create a hybrid powertrain for a Dash 8 100 demonstrator, a harbinger of future developments to come. Uh, the Dash 8 could see a robust sales future, according to its low noise footprint. Uh, sorry, owing to its no low noise footprint, fuel efficiency, even in stock trim and low carbon impact. All aspects that could provide a fine springboard into the alternatively fueled green model. If de Havilland can bring it to market quicker than the rest, then the Dash 8 could see a renaissance. Um, gosh, well, there's a, there's a lot of Dash 8s flying around, aren't there? Um, and um, I'm presumably thinking that they're, they're quite inexpensive to operate as well. Um, use them on the right routes with the right payloads, and uh, it, it's a pretty good aircraft, isn't it? Certainly, we, we used to see a lot of them here with Flyby on the, uh, the regional routes and the near European routes, too. Yeah, except for the uh, it's unique stole capabilities, the short takeoff and landing. Um, the problem with this whole thing is there's so many used jets on the market. I mean, Embraer 145s, there's hundreds of them out there for probably the same price, and the E-190s are being retired already, and there's it's just such a saturated jet market that yeah. operators want to go jets. So, so. I, I'm glad that they're optimistic. Uh, Airbus, uh, no, not Airbus, Embraer, just released a concept photo of their next four aircraft in development that are um, more uh, carbon footprint friendly and uh, more efficient. And those were a variety of turboprops um, with the different engines. But So, Mr. B, you had uh, an email come through from uh, BA 
and uh, I've actually uh, managed to uh, to hack your account, Nev, and um, I've got that email here, which is there. We go on the screen. You well, had uh, I, this email come in, didn't you, from BA? What, what's uh, what's the issue yes, here? Yes, I mean I, I like receiving emails from BA, as you can imagine, um, and they're asking me to do a quick survey about my flight to Brussels the other day, and I thought oh, I'd be delighted to fill that in and give them scores and marks out of ten. Uh, obviously, I was on an A three one nine. Uh, for that short route um <laughs> but they're showing a picture of an a380 um so i know there's some artistic license going on there but come on guys you know, please <laughs> seriously so yeah. what, what's what's the review going to be like anyway now if you're going to oh, it's nice gonna, yeah. brian brilliant you know yeah. no, no problem yeah. at all and of course um to be fair to them they are running the a380 on the um madrid and frankfurt routes at the moment um so i missed that by about a week actually so that was a bit of a, bit oh. of a shame but there you go um so no i mean perfectly n- nice flight on the a319 to, to brussels very prompt departure nice bit of breakfast and great crew um so um yeah but um anyway just a bit of a pet peeve of mine let's have the aircraft <laughs> i'm not saying the exact reg or manufacturer serial number i think that's probably going a bit far but let's have roughly the right sort of picture model number. Oh, no. i mean i would have accepted an a320 <laughs> even if it was an a319 mm. the, the 319 that i flew on but uh, there you go so there we go you heard it here first so uh moving on to the next part of the show which is uh our caption this just for fun that we run every week on the show and uh, for those of you who follow us on social media facebook in uh, in me but we fa- follow facebook if you don't already follow us on facebook plain talking uk uh, every wednesday uh, we try and pop up a little picture or a caption uh pictured for you to caption on and we look for your wittiest and most funny captions that you can come up with uh, for that particular picture this week's picture which i'll pop up on the screen for those of you watching in the world of youtube now there we go um armando will let you describe the picture currently on the screen and armando's well, unfortunately armando's just gone for a armando's uh, gone for a comfort <laughs> break <laughs> okay uh, or, or, or something similar but um, right so nev far away it is a skydiver uh, extremely close to an aircraft, a passenger jet, uh, with the sign PTUK 400th on his card that he's holding up. <laughs> I'm sure so. we'll get some comments from the chat room. But mm. we, uh, we, did have, uh, we did have some comments uh, on Facebook uh, for this particular picture. And uh, I'll kick things off uh, with the first comment. And this one came from Sandra... Uh, let me just get the right camera there ready there we go this one came from sandra and she said just casually dropping by to let you all know about the 400th plane talking uk podcast so thank you for that sandra and uh, nev you've got one from uh, a certain member of our family here yes jonathan warner says uh, dr steph dropping in for the pt uk 400 <laughs> do you know nice. I, I wouldn't put it past steph to 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 attend the 400th in that in that kind of fashion actually yeah no. um we've got um next one is uh, john luke or john who says uh, arrivals at heathrow are reminded by ian palmer that the ptuk have a special episode coming up book early to avoid disappointment i like that bit of shameless yeah. advertising there <laughs> and uh, next one uh, nev 
Yeah, Andrew says, uh, Matt doing a spot of advertising. <laughs> well, you know, we need all the revenue we can get these days, so uh, why not? Why not? And uh, next one is from Mark, uh, who says, Smile all you like. You're not getting in with a fake ticket, he says. <laughs> so thank you for that, uh, for that Mark. Um, it's, it's quite an amusing... Have we, have we got any comments from the chat room? Oh, yeah. Oh, look, we, we got... got uh, Go on, far away. Dirk S. in the chat room says, Hitchhike to the 400th episode. We'll do everything to get there. Let's see. Alan White says, A little bit of aerial advertising. Let's see. Oh, Richard Adams, again, very observant. I'd be worried if an aircraft that's flying straight and level was also dropping at 120 <laughs> miles per hour. <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's, your, what's your take on that picture yourself, uh, Armando? Absolutely doable. I, I, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was surely Dr. Steph is doing some advertising for us. So, <laughs> I thought oh, another one ad revenue from the show. Is going to be in free fall. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so, cool. th- oh, brilliant, excellent this week. So, thank you everyone who uh, who commented on this week, and uh, don't forget it'll be back, and hopefully next Wednesday uh, with uh, some more excellent uh, a picture for you to comment on and give us your funniest and wittiest comments. So, thank you for everyone who commented this week. So, Armando, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce the next part of the show. Oh, everybody showed up just in time. You can see the numbers pretty much doubled for this segment. Carlos, if you're ready, hit the button. Help out the audio up, wouldn't it? <laughs> Best laid plans and all that. Anyway, take it away, Armando. Well done, Carlos. Well, old machine. (laughs) This uh, first military story is a little bit of a two-parter. For the first part from flightglobal.com, the UK just signed a deal to expand its T6 trainer operations. Affinity Flying uh, Training Services has been placed under contract to operate an expanded fleet of Beechcraft uh, T6 primary trainers for the UK MOD. Each one of these is valued around £65 million. Uh, The deal with Elbit Systems UK Uh, KBR Joint Venture Affinity covers the addition and use of four aircraft to be employed over a 12-year period. So while this new contract was announced on 8 November, the additional four aircraft have already been acquired and kept in readiness. Uh, Affinity reported the arrival of these extra T6s, which uh, will join its 10 in-service brothers at the RAF's Valley, uh, at the base at RAF Valley, uh, on Anglesey in November. Um, the addition and operation of these new aircraft will provide increased training support and an uplift in training and flight hours for the UK Military Flight Training System Program. Uh, full capability will be in place by 2024, uh, with work also including upgrades to key facilities. Now, this uh, the uh, Elbit Systems UK Chief Martin Fawcett said that this contract represents a significant step for the training of Royal Navy and RAF pilots, Uh, Following the successful delivery of the first phase of Affinity's flying training program, we are delighted to build and strengthen our partnership with the UK MOD as we support the training and of pilots of the future. Um, There you go. So the T6S Texan continues to find success. Uh, Also growing the fleet. This is also from Flight Global, the RAF's uh, shadow surveillance fleet. 
uh, very ominous name there, as to grow by two aircraft and getting new defensive systems. Uh, the RAF has ordered two additional shadow reconnaissance aircraft from Raytheon UK in a move that will grow its fleet to eight of the aircraft. Now, this ser- uh, the service also plans to upgrade the fleet's uh, defensive systems to help the aircraft defend themselves while operating in unfriendly airspace. Now, the, the MOD said on the 3rd of November that the contract with Raytheon UK is worth £110 million. The first of the upgraded aircraft is to, to be returned to the RAF duties uh, by June of 2023, with the eighth shadow being delivered by the end of 2025, according to Group Captain Sean Gee. Uh, he is the um, senior officer responsible for the shadow program. Uh, so now this aircraft was developed to help gather intelligence for the war in Afghanistan. They are modified Beechcraft King Air 350 CERs, and they, of course, carry... Um, Electro-optical and electric sensors, basically police cameras um, for the surveillance and acquisition of land targets. The RAF also says that its uh, satellite communication links um, provide intelligence that can be quickly off-boarded for uh, further analysis. So very cool, very capable aircraft, uh, very efficient aircraft, the King Air 350, and uh, you can load a bunch of stuff with it uh, on it and operate it with a minimal crew and minimal footprint. And minimal maintenance. So good job to the RAF for both of these aircraft. You know, I love fast jets. I think we all we'd all love to have a go on an F thirty five and um, you know an F eighteen and F sixteen. But the T six, I've got. To, I, I definitely love to have a go on uh, flying one of those, Armando. Oh yeah, you would love it. Mm. I mean, come on, it's as close to a fighter jet yeah. as you can. I've pro- probably got more. I put, to be fair, I've probably got more chance of flying a T six than I have a F sixteen or F thirty five. You could certainly fly an older T six, hmm. like the uh, the old radial engine T six. I'm sure we can find you a ride in one of those. Yeah, perhaps I could come over and see you next month. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so next story, and uh, this one is coming to us from the aviationist dot com. And uh, this uh, headline, DARPA's X-61 Alpha Gremlin Air Vehicle recovered in flight for the first time. The successful test follows last year's failed attempt when the drones moved within inches of recovery. However, the X-61 was also lost due to an unexpected power system issue. Uh, The Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, Uh, announced the first successful airborne recovery of an X-61A Gremlin air vehicle during the latest round of flight testing in October. The test follows the first failed attempts from last year when the Dynetics and DARPA made nine attempts with the Gremlin, uh, coming uh, within a few inches from docking uh, bullet extended from a C-130 Hercules. In that occasion, the testing team encountered a more dynamic relative movement than expected, requiring software changes and uh, we're going to pop a quick picture actually up on the screen here there we go there's a video uh, too if you can this recovery was the culmination of years of hard work and demonstrates the feasibility of safe reliable airborne recovery said lieutenant colonel paul calhoun program manager for gremlins in darpa a tactical technology office such capability will likely prove to be critical for the future's distribution air operations said tim keita gremlins program manager for dynetics disclosed during an interview with breaking defense valerie ins 
Abyssinia said the successful recovery was performed on October uh, the 29th, uh, 2021, as predicted by the team. The test flight was also visible on ADSB tracking websites. Wow, really? Uh, with the C-130A's uh, which was a 1955 aircraft which previously had served with the US Air Force and is now operated by the Specialised Aerial Services provided international air response tracking while orbiting over the Dugway Proving Ground uh, which is in East Utah Multiple tracks were flown at speeds between 160 knots and 200 knots with altitudes varying from 9,500 feet to 14,500 feet and um, uh, flew legs of around 25 nautical miles. The in-flight recovery is performed by a roll-on, roll-off system, which includes the physical structure and the docking structure, the towed altitude, or attitude, I should say, controlled bullet, and the in-flight storage system installed inside the C-130 cargo bay. And the recovery itself happens in two phases, with the Gremlin first connecting to the docking system, which stabilises it against harsh weather and turbulence, generated by the mothership C-130, before being grabbed by the mechanical arm that recovers it inside the aircraft. This, is, this sounds like something out of um, Star Trek. Uh, Marvin Hill, Dynetics X-61A Recovery System Chief Engineer, described last year's recovery process, saying it's like fishing in the sky, except the fish weighs 1,200 pounds. Another way to describe it would be using the similarity with the probe and drogue air-to-air refueling, since the X61 extends that probe and connects to the stabilised bullet, which is similar in many ways uh, to the basket attached at the end of the fuel hose. So, Armando, I'm going to quickly grab the video to this, so I'll hand it over to you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like Mike has uh, saying in the chat room, the air, the whole idea of air-to-air recovery is not new um and my favorite one to always talk about is the fulton recovery system because it was just basically this like these catfish whiskers that turned into like the scissor system on um on a c-130 and the idea was you could have like a survivor on the ground that would deploy this balloon into the sky and then the c-130 flying 180 knots would uh line itself up with the balloon and then and then catch you in the scissor system and then like pull you up into the sky. However, it was that, oh, it was always that first part between zero and 120 miles per hour that uh, they decided, man, that can really hurt a human that we're trying to pick up that just survived the plane crash. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's been different types of these systems, you know, throughout history. I think what is kind of cool about this is the uh, unmanned aspect of it. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a drone. It's using, its own flight control system, its own uh, guidance system to uh, essentially plug into that that basket. I, it's pretty similar. Looking at the video is pretty similar to just doing aerial refueling with a with a uh, drogue and basket or a basket and a probe. Um, and, but I guess it's pretty cool to have a, a computer doing it itself. Now, I can't why? find can't find that video in the play folder, but. Not to panic. Don't panic. Oh, it's on it's on YouTube, but uh, okay. we'll put the show we'll put the link in the show notes if you uh, really, or you can yeah. just Google it. Carry just on. Google the Gremlin uh, first in-flight recovery, and you'll uh, come up with the video, which is pretty neat. I, I imagine the the usefulness of this is like you can deploy a unmanned aerial system close to somebody else's airspace, and then have it go fly and go do some things, and then come back to its uh, mothership almost. But again. You know, some of these technologies, 
are they going to be employed in the way they are now? Probably not, but it's uh, it's good R&D for uh, something that we'll probably see in the future. So, Nev, you've got uh, the next story. Just before that, isn't it nice to <clears throat> that there's someone that knows what they're talking about on the show? <laughs> Is it really? Carlos? Absolutely. That's, that's what... That's, <laughs> that's what that's why we pay Armando the big bucks. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Ooh, yeah, he can still, barely spend it quick enough. Still um, waiting for the check. <clears throat> well, this is on the aviationist.com and it says that uh, the first German C130J Hercules performs maiden flight. The aircraft is the first of six C-130Js that will be operated together with four French ones in a joint binational squadron. Uh, the Bundeswehr uh, announced on November the 8th that the maiden flight of the first German C-130J-30 Hercules cargo aircraft out of Lockheed Martin's facilities in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, the aircraft was rolled out of the assembly lines in July this year before heading to the paint shop where it would uh, was spotted uh, next month with the new dark grey livery and Luftwaffe markings. Uh, the US Defence Security Corporation Agency, the DCSA, approved a foreign military sale to Germany in 2018 for three C-130J30s, um, which is a stretched variant of the standard C-130, and three KC-130Js, the tanker variant. Uh, the aircraft will be delivered together with various equipment, including the uh, Link 16 data link, countermeasures, dispensers, missile warning systems, uh, wa uh, radar warning receivers and electro-optical and infrared imaging systems. Uh, the German Air Force decided to acquire the Hercules to perform airlift, airdrop and air refuelling missions and close the capability gap that would have been generated by the retirement of the similarly sized C-160 Transall, which is planned to be retired at the end of the year after 53 years of service. In fact, even if the A400M Atlas can provide all of the capabilities needed by the Luftwaffe, its large size represents a limit when operating from short or unprepared runways and when flying in support of the Special Forces, which is one of the capabilities mentioned when the C-130 procurement was announced. Now, the Luft, uh, Luftwaffe C-130Js will be part of a French-German joint squadron uh, based in Evreux, France, uh, which was officially established in September after years of planning. Uh, the Binational Air Transport Squadron will have unrestricted exchange of aircraft, air crews and maintainers, as well as technical and logistical support based on a common pool of spare parts and a common service support contract. The six German aircraft will be joined by four French ones uh, and uh, for a total of five KC-130Js and five C-130J-30s. It's quite interesting, isn't it, how um, countries sort of team up together to try and get the best situation out of a number of aircraft, especially when it comes to sharing parts and, and service plans and, and that kind of thing. And that kind of makes sense, obviously, because uh, Germany and France are very close together, uh, geographically speaking, and you know it wouldn't be the first time they've done lots of things together in the past from a military point of view, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 1954, the first C-130 came out. It was like... <laughs> 
it amazes, of them. Yeah. yeah, it amazes me the longevity of military aircraft generally. You know, obviously they, they have to be well maintained. I mean, maintained to a incredibly high standard in case they're needed in into service, of course. Um, yeah. But it's not um, not uncommon to have aircraft with extremely long lifespans, is that? Yeah, I can't wait to see which one of these aircraft, whether it's going to be the the C one thirty five, you know, KC one thirty five, or the B fifty two, or the C one thirty is going to be the first to make it to a hundred years. Hmm. I mean, we should be on episode what two thousand three hundred and forty eight by then. I will have retired or, or expired or both. <laughs> right then. Definitely. Yeah. Like a half gallon of milk. There you go. Yeah, uh, pretty cool. C-130J. Uh, I can't believe it's already been uh, 1999 it first came out. It's 400 of these already. Yeah, no, it's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. We still think of it as a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Amanda, you've got the next story, haven't you? Yeah, got to take it old school because I always do. Uh, this story is uh, from warbirdnews.com. Um, the mosquito flying demo at the Plains of Fame Museum in Chino, California, will be featuring a special aircraft on Saturday, November 20th. So you still have time to get there. Uh, this pending visit is an and aerial demonstration is the de Havilland Mosquito FB Mark VI, uh, serial number PZ474. Uh, because of this unusual opportunity to see this rare airworthy example of Britain's what they called the wooden wonder. The museum is combining their regular hangar talk presentation with this month's flying demo day. So the hangar talk session will look at the history of the uh, de Havilland Aircraft Company, which is funny because we were just talking about the de Havilland Dash 8 um, before it was the Bombardier Q400 um, and the role it, that it played, the company, in advancing aviation. This discussion will, of course, focus heavily on the remarkable de Havilland Mosquito. The Mosquito is, is a very unique um, design, not just because, uh, you know, it was the only real uh, twin-engine Merlin-powered airplane that was used during the Second World War, but because of the way it's, it's constructed... So the de Havilland Company had built some aeroplanes using this uh, laminated plywood sandwich construction prior to World War II. And while everybody else was being told that the future was metal aeroplanes and those wooden ones were a thing of the past, this company kind of decided that in order to meet the specification that was put out for this twin-engine bomber, that they had to make it in this smooth, lightweight, wooden construction, no armament. So the original philosophy was if you could build an aeroplane that was faster than the fighter that was trying to shoot you down, you could just run away from them. Incredibly, in 11 months, they went from the drawing board to flying the prototype without having an order from the, from the UK Air Ministry. And they flew the prototype and then demonstrated it to the, to the powers that be. And the performance was so fantastic that they just couldn't, they had to kind of swallow their pride and say, right, we'll have them. They realized they had such a uni- unique design with a lot of care. Catch an interview, uh, much like uh, Nick uh, Codling uh, exemplified a couple weeks ago. So, very cool airplane. I 
really like the mosquito, and I think there's one in Duxford that we we had a uh, a function together, gathering up the as many mosquito aircrew veterans as we could, and you got to appreciate how much it meant to them to see the aeroplane that they were. Uh, the These mosquitoes, they were they were in service with the Australians, Canadians, the Chinese, the uh, Czechoslovak Air Force or Czech Air Force. Dominican Air Force, the French Air Force, Haitian Air Force, Israeli Air Force, New Zealand, Norwegian. Like, it just, uh, the list goes on and on and on. There's not a lot of airplanes that did that, but, um, yeah. Hello. Are you guys there? Yeah, we're here. We're there. Don't panic. We're here. Okay. Yeah, I, play, I played a little bit of the video out there, so for those of you chances to uh, to see that. There's, um, I think they've got, t- I'm sure they've got two of these over at Duxford, actually, if I remember rightly. I'm sure they've got one, I'm sure there's one that flies with uh, the formation, t- or the um, the um, um, the Warbirds group. And I think there's one also inside uh, the hangar, which is next door to where uh, our friend is over there, uh, Nev. At, um, oh, yes. Then in the hangar there, I'm yep, pretty sure right. it's in there. But thank you for putting those stories together. As always, Armando, always uh, always good to have uh, some military stories on the show. So we're going to start to wrap things up, but uh, we are going to uh, uh, just uh, mention a quick again about uh, the 400th show that's coming up next year. Mm. Uh, this is going to be, uh, for those of you who don't already know, this is going to be in February next year all being well, on the 26th, which is a Saturday. And uh, we are going to be at um, the museum over at the Brooklyn's Museum, aren't we, Nev? Yes, looking forward to that massively. So that's Saturday the 26th of February. Um, If you would like to come to the show, um, please send us an email to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we will add you to the list and we'll also send you a link to uh, the Brooklands uh, Hotel which is right next to the museum itself. Um, Now we have negotiated a special rate with them you might find that the uh, rate is slightly cheaper online depending on where you're looking uh, at hotels however you um probably will not get the rate which includes breakfast and you probably won't get the rate that allows you to cancel right up until the last minute on the day i think two o'clock on the day in fact yeah that's correct is is the rate that we've got so um again with the old pandemic doing all sorts of funny business it might be worth having a look at that because it means if you did cancel um then you wouldn't be liable for any money Um, However, uh, we are planning an extravaganza. Uh, It is in the planning process at the moment. Uh, There'll be some special guests there, people that uh, you may know and people that you may not have met before. So it's going to be a a really great time. But the only way that you can apply is to send us your details to uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Yes, and don't forget to send those those emails in to us if you want to attend. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast, uh, that pod, uh, email again, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. So send us an email, uh, tell us you want to attend uh, the day, and uh, one of the team will send an email across with the link to click on to book that hotel. And as Nev said there, you know, I, I made that assumption as well. When I went to book the hotel, I said, Nev, I sent him a WhatsApp, didn't I, Nev? I said, Nev... 
that this is, is I can get it cheaper elsewhere. And then Nev did point out that you know you didn't get the uh, cancellation option and also that breakfast as well uh, on that price booking via other. Uh, websites isn't that right nev so um yes if you want to send us an email let us know you come we have had a very good response to this as well we are very very impressed indeed uh, with uh, the amount of people who have emailed us here um who are traveling from uh, pretty much everywhere nev aren't they oh yes all over the shop um and uh, obviously things are a bit difficult over at APG because uh, Jeff's just said in the chat room, hope Nev doesn't mind. I'll be sharing his room. Well, good luck with that, Jeff. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> let's see how that pans out, shall we? Uh, but uh, no, uh, we've got uh, a lot of surprises, not all of which have been fully put into place yet. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a great day. And also the museum itself, if you've not been to Brooklyn's Museum uh, before, it's a, it's a great day out. Um, lots of things to do there and the folks that run it are I mean most of them are volunteers and they're very very knowledgeable about everything that's at the museum quite often you get um, some classic car days there as well so it'll be interesting to see if there's some classic cars on the day that we're there as well but uh, yeah really looking forward to it so that's September no it's not it's Saturday 26 <laughs> 26th of February February yeah 2022 which when you say it like that seems a long way off but actually it's not and it's going to come around terribly quickly isn't it so yeah yeah and uh for those of you who might be traveling up earlier um i think me and nev and most of the team will probably be uh on site on the friday aren't we Nev? we're going to be there on the friday so if you are if you are staying at the uh, hotel on the friday evening me and uh, some of the team will be there and we can always get together i expect can't we nev at the uh at the uh watering hole as they say and have a few beverages before yeah, uh, Saturday, but yeah, we'll be there on the Friday, and then obviously we'll all be staying there on the Saturday night as well. And I think we're we're going to try and sort a little something, a little gathering out uh, with some food, aren't we, for the evening, Nev? I think uh, uh, close by. Um, yes, so I, I can bring together. some uh, sandwiches with me certainly, and uh, some crisps. Yeah, I think I, actually I'll, I'll bring my little fridge out of the truck, and we can plug that go. in, and we can keep stuff cool. <laughs> so yeah, that'd be I'll, good. I'll bring the barbecue sauce from North Carolina. Ah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That if you need an excuse to come and see us all on on the four hundredth, the excuse is there right here on the uh, on the show, and that's Armando because Armando's going to be there uh, along along with his uh, boss Megan, who's also going to be there as well. That's right. Even better than that is uh, Brian Coleman asks, "Will there be beer there?" <laughs> oh, Brian. <laughs> oh, Brian. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> Seriously. Hey, how about this? How about uh, our WhatsApp number again? Plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one double six. We can use that to coordinate uh, while we're at the show and uh, set up some dinner plans and some drinky drinky plans. Um, also, I've been made aware that uh, we may have blown out everybody's eardrums during that last military story. So, yep. Apologies, um, that was my fault. I, I, I missed the missed the one thing. I missed that slider. Um, to, to, to quickly, uh, I thought I thought you missed the the one large note in bold red letters. Yes, that said, I know, Carlos. I know. Do not play the audio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was almost a perfect show, guys. It almost was almost a perfect, a perfect show. show. Yeah, <laughs> even with Matt not here. Yeah. But uh, as I, we say, we'll fix it in post. 
Exactly. Actually, some of the uh, chat room has just said that actually that um, there are other options of hotels available um, close by. Um, and I, my my dad actually, Phil, is he's booked into a hotel which is about five miles away, four or five miles away, not very far. So there are other options available if um, if the price is a little bit little bit yeah. steep at the old um, the Brooklyn's Hotel. But um, obviously, we will have vehicles on site if you are uh, in need of a lift. I know I'll, I'll have uh, the TriStar van Mark II. Uh, with me oh that should be fun just pile a bunch of ptuk listeners in the back in the of, back the of van our, after a couple yeah. of drinks <laughs> well actually i mean back in the day that's how most um bands traveled around isn't it, it with their flight cases and their uh, stuff <laughs> and their special cigarettes and their drinks uh, before the days of health and safety and seat belts and stuff like that. health and safety I mean, what happened there honestly yes. who wants to know about health and oh, safety dear. Anyway, Nev, do you want to give uh, our listeners the uh, the usual social media means of finding us in case yes. in case they didn't already know? In case you don't know, well, uh, firstly, the email address podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just so search any of those for Plain Talking UK, and you'll find us there. Website is. Uh, the three w's plain talking uk.com don't forget you can subscribe to our youtube channel where you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as many people have done uh, just go to youtube.com and search for plain talking uk you can also do your uh, amazon shopping if you wish through our website we get a small referral free uh, fee and uh, you can also become a, a patreon of the show as well if you go to the website plaintalkinguk.com it tells you all about how to do that and uh, yeah so looking forward to uh, uh, seeing as many people as we can for the 400th of course yes and um, dirk's moaning because we're, we're going to finish too early so we'll 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 do a quick round robin before we before we before we go. It's, it makes a change to finish early, guys. Come on. Um, so Nev, what's going on in the world of uh, Nev next well, week? Well, uh, I've got my colleague from Germany coming over on Monday that I work with. So I'm picking him up from Terminal Two at Heathrow. Haven't done that for a long time. That's where Lufthansa fly into. Um, and uh, so I'm with him for three days. So I should be taking him around. Uh, the delights of London and the home counties, scaring him witless because he'll be on the wrong side of the road, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I, I shall do the driving, I think. Um, and then so that's three days this week. Then I'm doing a bit of uh, freelancing for another <clears throat> podcast <gasps> that you may have heard of. Dun, dun, dun. On Thursday of this week, we're going down to Farnborough to do a quick recce for their 500th show. Uh, which will be coming up in December. Um, and then the following week, I'm in Sweden for the week. Um, so I haven't been there because, again, due to the pandemic, uh, Sweden put a block on anybody coming into the country virtually, apart from the Scandinavian countries. So I'm going back to Stockholm and Gothenburg for uh, the week for business, uh, which would be nice, and also staying over there for the weekend to meet up with a couple of my chums as well. So uh, I have to say that um, Heathrow Terminal 5 is extremely busy now, just like it was before. And, of course, there's me complaining previously to say, oh, it's not very busy, it's a bit like a ghost town. You may have seen some videos from me when the pandemic first hit. 
Um, but now it is absolutely chock-a-block, especially as the US has opened up their flying. So I think um, I'm going to be complaining again that there are too many people at the airport and I can't cope. <laughs> so we'll any any chance see. I can borrow your, um, your, uh, your gold card for next month, Nev? Oh, yeah, of course you can. Yes, absolutely no problem at all. I'm, I'm sure you'll be allowed to do whatever you wish with it. But um, no, it's great. I mean, let's be honest about it. Um, it's good to see that uh, the airports are busy again. That means, you know, you've got to remember that uh, the number of people that are employed at an airport just for the, the ground operation, let alone flying the the heavy metal is enormous it's tens of thousands of people and of course a lot of them are now back at work um having come off a of furlough so that's that's really great news and very important for everybody's economy as well definitely true 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 armando dare i ask how much flying you're doing next week oh actually i'm gonna put my lovely wife on the spot right now she is competing in a martial arts competition tomorrow Say this what? is just this is just proof of how much she is my boss that uh both her and our daughter are in martial arts and i am in like more of the drinking arts um <laughs> but tomorrow we're going to a competition and they are going to show everybody just how strong they are um other than that let's see i think i'm going to be in uh, jacksonville uh, florida Plymouth, Massachusetts, and uh, somewhere in the absolute middle of Missouri for a four-day trip. Uh, so if you're in Plymouth, Mass, <laughs> let me know. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, so five, five, six days of flying this week before the next show. Crazy. Wow. Okay. Well, a bit worried about you. I'm just a bit, a bit worried for you now, Armando. I'm just thinking, God, you know, what happens when you turn down the um, ironing each week and say, no, I'm not doing the ironing? It's, it's not an option. Okay. It's not an option. Yeah. Blimey. Okay. These, these girls practice front kicks and palms to the face, like, for fun. Ooh. But that's a different podcast. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a specialist <laughs> podcast, isn't it? Yeah. Goodness me. Now, yeah. Carlos, you're out in the, uh, the lorry again, aren't you, next week? Yes, yeah, I'm I'm heading back to one of my least favourite venues in London, cent- Central Central London, the QE2 Centre, uh, next week to do an exhibition, which I'm really looking forward to. Good, you probably test sense that there. Don't get me wrong; it's a lovely exhibition centre. As I said to the guys before we started the show, brilliant exhibition centre, and London is is a, a, a fabulous place to sort of work within, but. When you want to park your vehicle after you've unloaded your equipment for setting up an exhibition stand, there's not very op- many options for parking in and around Westminster in London, central London. So. I must say, though, that particular venue, I know a couple of people very well there, uh, and uh, they are very nice people. So if you ever get into a bit of a pickle or you need a help in hand, I, I can put in a good word for you definitely well funnily enough when we were there a few weeks a few weeks back we did get uh, friendly with a security guard who says he's had he's got quite a uh, a fondness of mcvitie's chocolate digestive biscuits others are available um so i'm going fully loaded with 
those particular items when we go next week, just in case he is on the security game. It's a good currency to use, definitely. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm there next week. Uh, exhibitions are starting again, which is great for me. Business is good with the exhibitions, so hopefully they'll be coming back thick and fast um, um, next year as well, all being well. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting my hands in on some uh, exhibition stand work, because that's quite fun, so looking forward to that. So that's about it, guys and girls. That's where we are um, sadly going to bring uh, the episode to a close. But, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for joining us this week. As always, it's been great to have all the uh, family members in the chat room with us as well. Don't forget, if you download the show and listen to it as an audio podcast, which I do many different aviation podcasts myself, um, if you have a spare few minutes uh, on your day it'd be lovely if you could leave us a little review on itunes um on there it does help uh, with the itunes um actual stats so we'd love a little review on there if you love the show and uh, we'd love to hear from you as well so don't forget we'd love some feedback from you um send us an email and we'd love to hear from you guys and girls podcast at plain talking is the email address to send it to that's it then i'm gonna hand things over to nev i think to uh, finish tonight's show so nev over to you thank you carlos well thanks everybody in the chat room uh, really appreciate your attendance and your comedy as well because it's always some always good laugh looking at what's going on in there but uh, hope everyone has a great week and we look forward to seeing you same time next week bye for now bye everyone <laughs>